Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I take every quiz somebody tells me to take. What fresh hell? Laughing in the face of motherhood. Yeah, that's not a thing. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I'm an obliger. I do what people tell me to do. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I'm hashtag Team Dr. Amy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking about going with your gut and doing what's right for your kid. Going with your gut. Yeah. I'm liking it. This is like tide swimming against. Right. To mix metaphors. (laughs) Yeah, it is. We're going to have all the metaphors going. Tide swimming against, hacking through the brush. I don't know. There's a ton of metaphors here. There is a, I think we've all done this at times in our lives. I'm anxious to hear about your own. Well, I know a couple of your own from all these episodes we've done together, but I'm still sort of learning about this topic. And I think it's an important one to discuss. There's times that all of us have had to go against the grain or go against what we were being told by a teacher or a specialist or a doctor was the right thing for our kid because something told us that that wasn't exactly the right answer. Yep. And we're going to talk about them today. We went to our Facebook group. If you guys are members of our page, but not our group, I recommend going to the page, clicking visit group, which is right in the top and joining our group. The difference between a page and a group is that in the group, you can talk to one another, which is amazing. But also, you know, if you're in the group that when there's important conversations, you'll see them. Facebook doesn't show you everything that we post just because you like our page. We wish they did. They don't. Rude Facebook. So if you really want to be part of the conversation, you should join the group. So I put this same question on the page and the group, but the group was where we really got a ton of response and reaction because I think you guys saw it. The question we asked was, is there a time in your life where you had to swim against the tide to do what was right for your kid when you had to make the hard choice or the unconventional choice or go with your gut and it was the right thing to have done? And we got a million answers. Yeah, I think this question is really interesting. And there's a lot of interesting responses to it. And I mean, going with your gut is a balanced thing like everything else. You know, I remember I think there are times where I'm sometimes paralyzed by this feeling of like, I have this instinct and like you have a lot of competing messages basically coming in your brain at all times. And if you're an anxious person, as I am, it can sometimes feel a little bit like messages coming in all the time and sorting through that can be complicated. But I think there is this 
absolute truth of like mom instinct that is worth talking about. Have you seen the Harriet Tubman movie? No. It's very good. I really recommend it. Anyway, she has a sort of, you know, sixth sense that the movie suggests she was badly injured. She had a brain injury as a child and she sort of has seizures and passes out, which is true about Harriet Tubman. But the movie sort of takes it to another level that she has the powers of clairvoyance because of this injury that she sees what's going to happen. And that's why she was Harriet Tubman. She could tell when something bad was about to happen and like make another choice. Huh. She could get away from the bad thing. And I think what you're saying is interesting. When you have anxiety, you get that feeling, right? Like something bad's about to happen and you might be right. And it might just be the anxiety talking. It doesn't mean. It's a tricky one for me because, I mean, this is seared in my brain. I must have been in high school and I was watching Oprah on TV, possibly an oldie logs alert. Back in my day, because now I think people just think Oprah is like this like godlike figure. And like she used to have a daily television show that I used to watch. Right. She used to, right. And it was something about I don't remember what, but it was somebody was like breaking into somebody's house or something. She was telling the story. And she's like, I had this instinct. And Oprah like looked right in the camera and she was like, never ignore your instincts. And it like activated some weird part of my brain and but I feel like I wish I'd never seen it because I feel like it's triggered more it's like an anxiety thing like do I have this feeling and sometimes it's just insanity on my part and it's it can be hard for me to suss out like what is like hum of anxiety and what is mom instinct well, let's start with a small win, okay? Because we heard of all kinds of ways you guys have gone with your gut and little and small and of dire importance and of you go girl. And so we'll start simple because it won't get scary too quickly for you. I think that's always a good way to go on the podcast. Not scary too quickly. We won't scare you in, right up front. So we'll start with Jessica. She says that her son's teacher told her and her spouse that her son was ready to get out of diapers at 22 months old. And he was her first child. So she was like, "Okay, we'll do this. She was pregnant with her second. She was studying to pass the bar exam. So, you know, not much on her plate or anything. Yeah. Got a few things going on. Jessica did. Yeah. And she decides to potty train a not quite two year old kid because the teacher told her to. She says it was a total disaster that ended with me and him crying on the bathroom floor. And it finally dawned on me that maybe he wasn't ready and would be in his own time. And why am I doing this anyway? So I told his teacher we were stopping, and the teacher told her I was sending him the message that he had failed. Oh. Instead of backing down, I stuck to it and told her I'd let her know when he was ready. And then he was about a year later, and I had learned the lesson of trusting both him and myself in the process. Oh, that's a good leadoff story. I mean, that's chock full of good messages. Yes. I mean, Jessica, first of all, you are so brave. Like, I think I would have cried and been like, you have to learn. I'm sorry. The teacher's very scary. The teacher said, yeah. Like, I think I don't know that I could have stood up in the face of a teacher telling me I was sending a message to my child. They'd failed. Oh my gosh, right? I'm, you know, how Gretchen Rubin has those four tendencies. I don't know that much about it, but I, of course, took the quiz to find out which tendency I was because... Of course you did. I take every quiz somebody tells me to take because I'm Anne. Because, Amy, yes. I'm an obliger. I do what people tell me to do. Yeah. I mean, I'm also kind of an obliger, but I am a reactionary to authority figures. <laughs> like, I find there are... I'll be talking to other moms and they're like, and I just told the teacher that she was being an idiot. And I'm like, oh, <gasps> did? Like, yeah. How could you tell an authority figure that they were wrong. That is just not in my DNA. 
I mean, just to take the other side of this, when you do have one kid and you're talking to a teacher who's been teaching nursery school for 35 years, there's a chance that that teacher has some pearls of wisdom you could learn from. But yeah, in this case, I mean, we've talked about this on the show. If you try something with your kid and it's really, really not working, just like revisit it in six weeks, six months, just back off. And Well, I think that's helpful for me because I'm talking about being caught in this cycle of like, is it an instinct or is it like weird OCD anxiety problem? Like, I think... The other lesson here is like, it's the, I don't remember whose quote it is, but it's like when someone tells you who they are, believe them. Like when your kid shows you where they are, believe them also. Like potty training should never be like everyone's crying and it's miserable and fraught. It's fine to just be like, we'll do this a little bit later. Yeah. I had a similar experience, which I've talked about, so I'll be brief. I opted out of homework for my kindergartner. He went to a kindergarten class where it was like there was two hours of crazy, like fun projects every single night. And I was like, this is not what my kid needs. My kid's like very, you know, motion based and needed to come home and play and relax after full day kindergarten. He was a four year old kindergartner. And the teacher just would give me the what for on it. I'd be like, well, it was so sad. Everyone else had their chef's hat decorated with their favorite food and your kid didn't have theirs. And it was so sad for him. And I basically stuck to my guns. I was like, my kid does not need to come home from eight hours of kindergarten and then spend two hours on a project that he's not interested in, that he's not developmentally ready for. But as I went through the process, it kept proving me right. You know? Yeah, you have to live with a little bit of discomfort, right? Like you're like, oh, maybe he should have a chef's hat and nobody else, you know, everybody else has one and not my kid. And they're... It isn't like there are zero consequences and zero second thoughts, right? That's not the goal here, but it was the right thing for your kid. Yeah, and I occasionally like found the middle ground where I would just make whatever the project was and hand it to him when he walked out the door. And I'm like, here's your chef's hat. Like, uh, now you don't have to be sad that you don't have it, and you don't have to spend two hours making a chef's hat at the end of an eight-hour day when you're exhausted. Jenna says that her eight-year-old son doesn't do any sports. She says we get asked all the time, if he plays this or that. And I say, no, he doesn't like sports. And most people find that sad or disappointing because he's a boy. Jenna, you can't see me right now, but I'm making the like fingers to my lips and then fingers in the air hunger Games salute to you because I'm exactly the same way. Yeah. Two of my kids don't play any sports and it's fine. They do Boy Scouts. They do other things. I mean, I guess am I about to argue that kids should have some kind of activity? I guess I was about to. And maybe not. Like maybe your kid really likes to like bird watch in the backyard. I think doing what's right for your kid does mean that we have to take on a little bit of the tisk tisk of society. I mean, better us than the kid, but we still have to put up with it. I definitely think when it comes to like generalized expectations, and I do think this is something that our generation is actually better at than other people before us, which is like expectations for how children will behave. We've started to realize that that's not really a thing that like a little girl should go over and give Uncle Bob a kiss whenever he comes in. Like we've sort of gotten to the point of like, oh, no, you don't actually have to do things you don't want to do because other people think that is the expectation that is on you. Yeah. And gendered expectations has a lot of this, you know, like boys should act like this and girls should act like this. I do think we've gotten a little bit better at being like, yeah, that's not a thing. Yeah. Like I may have a boy who is sensitive in all of these ways and like I'm not going to tell him like act like a man. Like we're kind of over that. We get it. Like it's not a thing. 
Rosie talks about how important it is that her kids stick to a normal routine. And this really hits on when the people who are giving you pushback are your relatives. She says, even when my family is visiting from out of town, my daughter needs structure and routine. She says she needs the toys put away before she can go to bed at night, like that kind of a kid. The amount of times I've been given a hard time and still get told I was being ridiculous when I insisted we would not go to insert fun, crazy, overstimulating activity here all day was a constant battle. No one understands that a one to two year old can't push through or just take a power nap. Yeah. I mean, this is another good example. And I mean, I often argue that like work from your most generous point of view. So like if it's like, oh, it's a whole family activity, like, you know, I don't love always being the person who's like, we can't do anything because it's really all about my kids schedules. I try to operate from a place of like, how can we make this work and how can we participate in fun things? But at the same time, those people may not have an understanding that like, if my kids get six hours of sleep three days in a row, they are going to be unbelievable monsters by day four. And then everyone's going to be looking at me like, what's wrong with your kids? So like, you do have to manage this and you definitely have to push back against the thing of like, you're no fun. And like, yeah, I guess I'm no fun. It's okay. There are some kids who can manage with a power nap in the stroller, right? Like it occurs to me listening to this that some kids can push through. Some kids will just sleep in the next morning. Like they weren't my kids, but I know kids who could just roll up the punches and stay up until midnight because they'd sleep until 10. Like, and if you have that kid, then maybe you have to push back from the, you know, well-meaning mother-in-law always telling you a baby should sleep in her crib when your baby sleeps just fine in the stroller. But if you have a kid that needs sleep and structure, and I will argue that most do, this is really hard when you have to disappoint and get pushback from your own parents or your in-laws or your cousins. And I think one thing you say a lot is like give voice to it, which I think can be really helpful in these situations, which is like, the thing is, if we do that, we can't do anything else tonight because it just means she's going to be so tired that she's going to be unreasonable the rest of the day and like and kind of talking it through a little bit. So it doesn't feel like because I feel like sometimes these can feel like power plays when you're with in-laws and family members. And it's like the struggle becomes like, I want to do this. Well, my kid, I have a kid, you know, and trying to kind of give voice to the big picture of like. Well, we stayed up late last night. So if we stay up late tonight again, tomorrow is just going to be a wash, you know, and kind of painting out the picture. But at the end of the day, you do what's right for your kid. You know, it occurs to me that this isn't always possible, right? So my sister-in-law got married. Gosh, it's 10 years ago now. So isn't that amazing how that happened? Yeah. Like what? So you're like, it was yesterday. Oh, no, it was 10 years ago. Oops. I'm old. Maybe it was nine years ago. Anyway, my now 12-year-old was three, and she was in the wedding, and, you know, there was a very lengthy photo-taking session that was going to go right through what her nap was, and that, and she was supposed to be cute and in the pictures, and I can see going into it like, oh, okay, this is going to be, she's not going to be her best self for these pictures. However, I don't get to be like, the wedding day schedule has to change because my three-year-old needs a nap. Like, that's a time when you got to go with the flow. But when it's... That's, I think, the trick of this thing is like not being kind of the like, I have kids and therefore I am queen of the world, but also right. sort of saying like, hey, is there a way we can structure this so it, it's going to work a little bit better? 
In that case, I remember it just happened to work out great because they were behind schedule and I just drove around the block until she fell asleep for like 18 minutes, which was all she needed to push through. But on the other hand, if that same family was like, let's go to the pumpkin patch and let's leave at 1230, then I think it's fine to say, uh, can we do that in the morning or can I maybe stay back with the baby or it's okay when the schedule isn't the most important thing that's ever happened to put what your kid needs first. For sure. And fundamentally, your kids, your rules. But we're just saying, like, is there any wiggle room in the schedule? All right, Amy, we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. We had a ton of people when we asked the question, when did you have to go with your gut for your kid and do what was right, talk about school stuff. And so I thought we should talk about those because there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, a lot of instinct following going on with the school stuff. And I, this happened to me. Danielle says her son was young for his grade, only 30 days away from the cutoff. So that's one of those things where they're like, it's really up to you. I had no concrete evidence or evaluation that said he wasn't ready. I only had my intuition. I held him back. The school called me, aren't you going to register him for kindergarten? And I just said no. And that was that. It was the best decision for me. 
This is like we could do four episodes on yeah. red shirting. They call it kindergartners, like holding them back. Yeah. And I did this with one of my kids. He was the youngest in his grade. And it was a fraught decision for me. In case anybody's listening, I want to give you a really good nugget of wisdom that'll help you discern this if you're struggling with this for your kid. First of all, if you're asking the question, I don't know, should we? It's worth considering that you probably should or else you wouldn't be wondering if you should. But the sort of thing that really tipped it for me, my kid that I was going to hold back had an older brother, so he was the little brother at home. And then he was also the youngest in his class at school. And a friend of mine who did not hold her kid back, she's like, no, 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 it was fine because he's the big kid at home. It's okay for him to be the little kid at school. And as soon as I heard that, it was very clear to me that I needed my kid to have one arena where he wasn't rushing to catch up with the bigger kids. Yeah. So that helped me. I had a whole debate about this with two of my kids, and I just kind of went with the flow. (laughs) You just want the flow. Well, Angie did the opposite. She says, I did the opposite. My son was 12 days past the cutoff, and I fought to get him into kindergarten early. He was bored in pre-K. I knew that would lead to behavior issues. I knew he'd be a little bit behind, but I could work with him on the social maturity stuff, and I knew he would do better being challenged rather than being the oldest and having things come easier. So... I think it's important to say, like, there's this really is like what's right for your kid that it isn't always better to hold them back. Not at all. Yeah, I had two. I had a kid who was a four year old kindergarten, probably wasn't ready. And I sent him and I had a kid who was too ready for kindergarten, maybe should have skipped kindergarten or started a year earlier. And I couldn't make that happen. And so I also will say the flip side of this is like these seem like the hugest decisions of your life. And there's all these books that are like all the soccer stars or the kids who started later. Da, 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 da. It feels so epic. And I just got to a point with both of my kids that it was going to be this protracted battle and I was like yeah let's just see how it goes and it's been fine I mean would maybe they be doing better in other situations they might but I just I couldn't get excited about this issue for some reason and I went with the flow and it's also working fine Jessica talked about she was the one who had to potty train her kid too early because the teacher said to and she was crying in the bathroom floor and it occurred to me when you're saying these feel so important like even that now when I have you know teenagers I'm like oh just wait you can potty train when he's ready when you're in it and the teacher is saying there's something wrong with your kid unless he gets potty trained by next Tuesday it you're not wrong when it seems like overwhelmingly important to you you're being told that it is it is your assignment to do this impossible task and it seems overwhelming And it seems if you don't get your kid potty trained now, if you just say, "Okay, we're going to wait, that it will never happen, that your kid is doomed to a life of. And we do a little bit of that to ourselves. But also this teacher telling her like, "Whoa, you set your child up for failure. Like, we're not wrong because we're constantly told that this stuff is of earth shattering importance, even when it isn't. And I do think that's a good instinct to have with all this stuff, because for people like me, the idea of like the day you ignore your mom instinct is the day it all goes wrong. That it's not really a thing. I mean, you should follow your instincts. You should follow what's best for yourself. But like, it's also good to take the pressure off of this thing of like, my mom instinct definitely told me my four year old shouldn't be in kindergarten and my other five older kids should have started earlier. It didn't work out. And guess what? We're all getting through the day. It's okay. Yeah, I want this to be uplifting. (laughs) Oh, yes. No pressure, people. No pressure. It's all going to go good and bad no matter what road you choose. We're just trying to help a little bit. I'll give you another good story. Tammy says, my son was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder when he was four. She had been a public school teacher before he was born. So he was about to go to public school. She knew it was going to be challenging in some ways. After struggling through kindergarten and grade 
one with a lot of stress and anxiety and disappointment, we decided to pull him out of public school and I homeschooled him for three years. Many people in our lives were shocked at our unconventional choice, but it was the best decision we ever made. Our family's anxiety decreased, and my son and I bonded in a special way. He now attends a private school for kids with autism, but I really believe the few years we kept him home saved us from a life full of strife and stress. What I like about this, and it's such a good job, Tammy, that's all I'm going to say to you, Mm -hmm. but I think some of this instinct stuff is about, like, what is your goal? Is the top of your triangle like stress-free existence to a certain point? You know, your life is not going to be stress-free, but like if you find yourselves in situations that are really not working, it is a great idea to say to yourself, how can we change this situation? You know, and that may be every time we go home to visit or to the in-laws house, the kids end up overtired and we kind of have a miserable trip. I'm going to insist on a schedule when we're there, even if people think I'm crazy. You know, my kid is really not functioning in the public school system for whatever reason or in the school situation that he's in. Maybe I'm going to take him out for a couple of years and homeschool. Like, I think that version of following your instincts, I can get 1000% behind. This potty training thing is us crying every night on the bathroom floor. We're going to stop doing this. Why are we doing this thing? Why is it making us miserable? Yeah, because we're listening to the authority figures who are telling us to, but sometimes we can go with our gut. Yeah, I think that's a great way to use your mom instincts. Laura says that she had to pull her daughter out of school and homeschool her for a year while she participated in intensive outpatient therapy. People told Laura that her daughter would never recover socially and she was making a mistake homeschooling her. She says, fast forward eight years. She's a senior with leadership positions in her music department. I think I made the right choice. Yeah, sounds like you did, Laura. Another really good job to you. I think I've talked about this once before, but I like it so much I'm going to say it again. I was talking to an actor years ago, like a sort of like wizened, like, hey, kid, this is how life is, you know, like that kind of... Listen, kid. Oh, listen, kid. Like a picture like Walter Matthau. Old Elox <laughs> alert. Back in my day. No one knows who that is. Who should I say? I don't know. Sure. We don't know who the new grumpy guy is. Uh, Steve Buscemi. I was trying to decide, like, should I do this Romeo and Juliet tour that was going to be a year of me, like, driving around in a van being, you know, Juliet in schools across the United States? Or should I move to New York to, you know, seek my fame and fortune and not wait another moment? And I was, oh, should I? I don't know, but it's this and it's this and it's this. And the guy was sitting there smoking a cigarette. We were backstage and finally it was like, just make a choice and then make that choice the right decision to have made. Yeah. I mean, that's it. I was like, huh. Right? Like, Laura had to homeschool her kid. She, you commit to it. People are telling you it's the wrong decision. Well, it's a decision I've made. And then, you know, eight years later, you made it the right decision by everything that you did to back it up. I think that's what I keep coming back to. It's like we like to think of life as like door number one or door number two, the lady or the tiger, you know, like what are you going to get? And life is nothing like that. It's like a series of winding paths that continue to intersect further in the forest. Like, It's not like door number one leads to happiness and door number two leads to doom. It just does not work that way. And it also doesn't work that way that you're going to know right away, like within three days, oh, homeschooling was the best decision I ever made, right? Without any doubt. It's okay if these decisions are sort of fuzzy for a while. Can I read you what Emily said? She has a similar situation, actually, to what we were just talking about. So she, Emily, is also a public school teacher. She just quit to stay home with her four and a half year old. She says he started pre-K 
Within a month, she realized it wasn't a great fit for him. He was young for his grade. He needs work on functional skills, even though he's advanced academically. We started seeing signs of anxiety in him. I quit my job mid-year, and we found a part-time Montessori program that better suits his needs. But then she says, I've worked his whole life, and work is a huge part of my identity. After a month at home, I can see this new setup is much better for him, but this has been a completely new process for me to learn to be a stay-at-home mom. And I continue to grapple with my own mixed feelings. And this is illustrative of the point we were just making, which is like, could either of those paths have worked out? Probably. But Emily chose to stay at home. And like, it's not like that door led to perfect happiness and the other door would have been, you know, sorrow. It's like you're kind of constantly making choices and then you can choose something else, too. It's not two doors. That's just it. This isn't permanent. When you decide, okay, I'm going to stop potty training this kid right now. It isn't my kid will go to college in diapers. It's just right now we're going to make another choice for right now. And if it makes it easier to make a big decision that way, then do it that way. Yeah, that's what makes sense for me. Jacqueline says that staying home was the right choice for her. She says she worked part-time throughout her pregnancy, planned on returning after her maternal leave, but she just couldn't do it. It's been harder financially, and my husband has been working overtime to make up for it, but I really am so happy I'm staying home with my son and in 17 days, our daughter. Good luck, Jacqueline. Yeah. You did not make the easier choice staying home with a toddler and a baby. And again, these choices are just so fluid. Like since I've had kids, I've been home with them. I've worked part time. I've worked full time. I've been home again. Like it's a long and winding road, you know? The, yeah, the realization that your path should change or might change, it's a meandering path. I think we're lucky in that way. I think we're lucky that like our parents, if they worked, had one job for 50 years and then got the gold watch. Yep. Or like my mom, she taught second grade for two years. I think it might even be one and a half years. And then I came along and like that was the end of that. The school gave her like a retirement party because you didn't come back to work. After you had a kid, not in that day and age. Right. And it was decided, you know, and now I just feel like, oh, should I get my MFA? Should I do this? Should I work? Should I work part time? Should I try this? We have options. And that's sometimes we can feel sort of choked by the options, but they're good. It's all good. Oh, for sure. But I do think that my aunt who was on the podcast a long time ago talks about that all the time. She's like, it was kind of nice not to have a ton of options. She's like, I look at my kids and they're like, are they choosing from a range of 10,000 choices? And she's like, I feel like I was choosing from a range of five choices. It wasn't as complicated, you know? Yeah. It's basically like, well, that'll be the end of my career when I have a kid. And, you know, having a lot of choices is great, but it can also sort of paralyze you into this, like, there is a perfect choice and a bad choice. And if I choose incorrectly, it's a problem. I guess the going with your gut thing, that's what happens when the choice isn't clear. I mean, I'm saying something obvious, but it just is becoming obvious to me now. Like, that's what going with your gut means when you don't know which one is better, when it seems like either one might work. This is your only choice. And I guess I just want to say, like, it can work out. And sometimes listening to your instincts is the right answer. Yeah, I agree. Diane says her first child was a very late talker and she would bring it up to the pediatrician and the pediatrician would just kind of brush it off. Something told me, she says, it wasn't just a speech issue. After lots of appointments and evaluations and research of my own, I realized it was a severe tongue tie. We scheduled elective surgery. Within six weeks, my son was speaking fluent, grammatically correct English with strong vocabulary. All right. That was a good instinct you had yeah. there, Diane. 
Yeah. Have you ever been in that situation where the pediatrician sort of pats you on the head and sends you home and you should have listened to your instinct? I don't mean about like 106 degree fever. I just had a very colicky baby. This was my example. And I kept saying like, he cries a lot. But again, he was my first. So they were like, babies cry. That's right, mommy. Well, that's how it is. And it wasn't until he was 10 weeks old that I went in. I mean, I was losing my mind at this point. I went in. This was my like attack. I was like, my mother and my mother-in-law both say there's something wrong with this baby, which they had. They were like, this is not right, Amy. And they were right. And I was right. But I was very easily for 10 weeks sort of sent home like, it's okay, mommy. And I had a push. Yeah. I mean, that story repeats and repeats and repeats. And we hear more and more about like, especially women in doctor's offices getting dismissed for their concerns. And I think the top of that mountain is that you know your kid best and that that instinct is the correct instinct. But I'm going to argue the other side of that when we come back as well. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. And now, things moms just know in their guts. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. When you see a kid scratching their head, it's never dandruff. It's lice. Listen, it's always lice. When the school calls, it's not going to be good news. People, they're not calling to tell you that your kid is doing a great job in math class. Your kid barfed or maybe pulled the fire alarm. When toddlers are noisy, it's annoying. But when toddlers are silent, they're destroying something you cherish. Move quickly. When your son wants to show you something really cool that he found outside, there's like a 92% chance that thing is going to be gross and or dead. 
That thing that literally no one in your house can find? If you look, you will find it in under 19 seconds. No matter how much you think you are ready to own a white couch, you are not ready to own a white couch. That white blouse? That's not for you either. This has been Things Moms Just Know in Their Guts. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. So I do think that following your instinct when it comes to your kid is right. But when it gets into medical territory, I have also had the opposite experience where it was like, there's something going on here with one of your kids. And I was like, my kid's perfect. You're dumb. And it was not correct. (laughs) There was something going on. And it took me a long time to realize it because it was bringing up a defensiveness in me that like, no, 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 you're all crazy. And these days, everyone thinks something's going on with every kid and blah, 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 blah. So I think when it comes to medical issues, this is a bit of a, you've got to walk this balance beam between like, fundamentally, yes, you know your kid better than anyone else. If you have a nagging concern, You should listen to it and you should address it. But doctors have also studied medicine a lot longer than you. And what you found on Google may not be exactly correct. It also may be. This is a tricky one, I think. Absence of nagging concern on the parent's part does not mean absence of problem. Right. Right. I mean, presence of nagging concern is worth listening to. But you're sort of talking about the opposite. When the doctor has a nagging concern, and you're like, nope, 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 nothing to see here. Yeah. That's worth considering. And I've seen it happen a lot at school with people where they're like, well, this rude teacher thinks my kid is blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, you should listen to that, whatever that is. If people are bringing you concerns about your child, I would weigh them pretty seriously. If they are the potty training example, you may dismiss them. But if they are like a behavior issue at school and your instinct is like, I am not listening to that because children all behave differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. From my experience, maybe just take it seriously. It doesn't mean someone else is right. But I think sometimes it's hard to hear perspectives on your kid that you're not ready for. I can think of times that I've had concerns expressed to me that were spot on, and I'm very grateful. And I can think of concerns that were expressed to me that were completely like incorrect and off base and out of proportion. But I will say that absolutely for me as well, literally, like I could name you four examples of each. But I do feel like none of them were offered out of unkindness or were offered lightly. Like I felt like I was trying to take in the moment that some learning specialist is saying, I think that there's a problem here that I wasn't seeing. You can at least stop and say like, okay, this isn't easy for this person to tell me that they feel this way. They had to like gather up their courage to bring this up and make this point. So you can take it or not take it. But if it meant enough to them to have an uncomfortable conversation with you, then it deserves to at least be listened to, even if you're going to dismiss it later. And kept in the overall file, I have one of my kids, and I'm going to speak very generally, who has had one year a teacher bring something to my attention that he was concerned with in his learning. And then the next year, the teacher was like, I don't see that at all. And then the year after that, the teacher was like, yeah, I see that thing. And then the next year, the teacher was like, "Mm, I don't think it's a big deal. And so it is constantly in my file about this kid that like two different teachers have had concerns about this thing. So I need to stay on top of it. And 
I don't think it is a concern that needs medical intervention or other kinds of strong interventions. But I'm like, this is something that people see in my kid more than one person. And so I'm going to really keep that in mind. And when I meet the new teachers each year, I'm going to be like, so this has been brought up as a concern. Is that something that you're seeing? Even when it's something concrete, like there's an example here, Tiffany says that her son had torticollis, which is like the flathead thing where they put the cranial helmet on kids. Yes. And so her kid had it and she said okay to the PT, but no to the helmet. She just like, it's just not right for my kid. I wouldn't want to wear a helmet and I'm not going to put a helmet on my kid. And her kid is four and it worked out for her kid. So that was her. Hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say whether you should put a helmet on your kid or not. I don't know. My oldest had a little bit of a flat head. It was enough that the doctor was like, eh, let's leave it alone. It'll be fine. If I had to make this call, I don't know what I would pick. But I guess I just mean like even when there's like it's black and white, the kid has this condition. There are still sort of ways you can treat it, ways you can respond and you get to be a partner in that discussion. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're in total landmine territory here because we're talking about like your instinct versus doctor's recommendations. And I'm going to say as a person, personally, I firmly come down on the side of doctors. Like I am always team like I think that I would do what a doctor told me to do because they have more information than I do. Would I then bring to a doctor's attention more information that might help them make that decision? I would. But at the end of the day, I'm hashtag team doctor, Amy. You know, I I think it's the same thing you were saying before. Like it occurs to me again. It's like the doctor saying, nope, nope, nothing wrong here. And you have a feeling that there is. It's the presence of your nagging concern. Yes. Right. And just because if the doctor says there's something going on and you're like, "Hmm, I don't see it. That doesn't mean you're off scot free because your gut tells you (laughs) your kid's fine. Right. I just think we should not overestimate the role of the gut in medical decisions. I just worry about that road. I'll give you one that's a little more something you can get behind. So Allison says, this is a yike. So her son needed a revision to his circumcision after he was born because the gynecologist messed it up, basically. Her second kid was born. Same doctor came to get the baby to do the procedure. And Allison had to say, I want a different doctor to do the procedure. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. That's solid. I'm 100% behind this. She says it was so awkward, but I had to trust my mom gut. I don't know if I could have done that. I think I would have like moved away so I could have a new gynecologist. I would have. And I'll tell you why. I have an example of this from my own life. I had to go to an ER. I don't remember how old I was, maybe nine or 10. I was young, but I remember it so clearly. And I've always been told this when I donate blood or anything. I have like a low set veins or something. They're hard to find my veins. And uh, some, I don't know what, medical person came in and was trying to draw blood and she stuck the needle in my arm four different times and was like no I can't find a vein I can't find a vein and she went to do it a fifth time and my mom grabbed her by the arm and she was like I need you to go find somebody else to go do this and she was like yeah we're not going to just keep trying like you've tried four times it's not working out go find a more senior person who knows what they're doing and i remember as a child being so struck and that memory is so clear in my mind of like that is a mom that is what a mother does you know what i mean like i do think that trusting being brave enough because i was said earlier like i would never do this i would never do that people putting other 
people in danger. Like that's the mom role right there. Yes. You know, you got to step in for those things and be like, nope, this is not happening. That's mother bear moment. This is my mother bear moment. I was at the orthodontist with one of my kids and they were getting like braces put on. And anyway, one of the brackets put on my kid, like all of a sudden, like yelps in pain and sits up like and starts like panting. And then, you know, a person putting the brackets on, I was like, I don't know why that happened. Oh, that's weird. Lies back down. Minute later, same tooth, like sits back up and, you know, oh my God, that kind of thing. Like 10 out of 10 pain. And I say, stop. Let's get the doctor to come over. The doctor comes over and both the doctor and the assistant were sort of like, like they looked at the tooth, like there's no reason why this should be hurting. And so like, so let's proceed. And I'm like, my kid is not like making up. So, like, I just saw it happen twice, but they were very stuck on. I don't see a reason why this would be happening. Therefore, it's not happening. Like, therefore, like your kid is like making it up or something. I'm like, if the kid was fine with the 25 other brackets and just screamed in pain about this one tooth, like we're not moving forward until you can figure out a way to fix this or else we can just also leave. Like we're not moving forward with this. But it was a moment where I kind of saw like, I think when it's your kid, right? When you're, it's your mama bear, like you won't hurt my cub. And when it's not your kid, you can be a little more removed about it. Like, well, there's no evidence of what would be causing a problem. Therefore, there's no problem. And I think that's where it gets tricky. Yeah, no, no, no. I think those moments, I don't know. The doctor thing is so tricky and it leads into all sorts of different things. But I do think, yes, you are there to protect your child fundamentally. And that's the instinct that you should work on. Right. And so anyway, it was awkward and weird. And we got some pain medication and then the appointment finished. And like, it was worth that awkward moment of me saying like, this will not stand. And I'm sure they thought I was crazy, but it like it worked out. You know, it was worth that moment of discomfort to push for what was right for my kid. Oh, for sure. And I think as you go forward in life, like leading with the instinct of like, I am here to make sure that you stay safe. That's your job. That's your role. And you should be doing that. And you should be doing that when like a 16 year old comes to pick up your other 16 year old at eight o'clock at night and be like, no, you're not getting in that car. Like you should be doing that. And with one that is absolutely wonderful and positive and (laughs) can feel good about it. Trisha says she has a son, her first child that's adopted from Russia. The process was getting hard, long, expensive, and the country shut down for a bit. Some, she wrote my husband in parentheses, (laughs) my husband, started to say, maybe it wasn't meant to be. No, he was our boy and we were going to get this worked out. It felt like we were fighting an entire corrupt government, but eventually we got it done. We celebrate nine years home next month. Good instincts, Trisha. Good instincts. That's your boy. Yep. And I do think that like there is that role. I mean, there's a million movies about this, right? Like everyone's like, there's no cure for this disease. And like the one mom is like, no, I will find it. And like, yes, you know, mom warriors. And you see that vision repeated throughout popular culture and reality and everywhere else. Like being a warrior on behalf of your kids is a big part of your job. I'm here for it. All right, Margaret, I want to wrap up with this fantastic quote from Nicole. She's a listener from Anchorage, Alaska. Hi, Nicole. Love that. I love what she wrote so much. I think we should read it. All right, here we go. We're going to go back and forth. Nicole says, in some way, isn't this all of us? Whether we choose to have children in our early 20s or late 30s or even uh, hashtag Margaret 40s. If we're parenting alone or with a tribe. If we co-sleep or had our baby in the crib from day one. If we breastfed or bottle fed, homeschooled or public schooled, on and on. Nicole says, don't we all at some point feel alone and stay up late nights worrying 
if we are making the right choices. Don't we all look at someone else and feel like they are mothering better? That is what is beautiful about being a mom is this innate gift we have to advocate for our children. Being a mother to me is learning to trust and tune out other choices and know I am doing the best I can with what I have. The times I have felt alone, Nicole says, is when I looked around and couldn't see others like me. When I feel supported is when I look around and see we are all doing the best for ourselves and our families. I'm not taking away the pain and the struggle that we feel advocating for ourselves when the world is against us. The struggle to find the right doctor, therapist, teacher or program. But when I am trusting my gut is when I feel closer to my kids. Nicole, you need to host your own podcast. (laughs) What fresh Nicole. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that's it that like the trick of this is that it is fundamentally our jobs to be our kids advocate and to really look out for them. And trusting our instincts is a big part of that. And knowing that like you are the person assigned the job of helping your child navigate this life. And so it's a pretty big responsibility. And You need to follow your instincts. And when other people come from the sidelines to be like, actually, you should, you know, you can tune a lot of that stuff out because you are the person who understands them best. But then just leave a little hole in that layer for valid and good advice and critique to come in. Mm -hmm. Not as easy as it sounds. I get that. Like, even as I'm saying it, it's like it's a hard balance. Your gut instinct shouldn't like keep things out. It should let things in, I guess, when possible. You should have a leaky gut instinct. Leaky gut instinct. (laughs) It sounds disgusting, but it is good advice. (laughs) We solved it. Totally solved this one. I love we're going to make leaky gut instinct T-shirts, guys, and sell them (laughs) soon. All right. We want to continue this conversation and talk about going with our gut and doing what's right for our kid. We already told you, you can go to our Facebook page at What Fresh Hellcast, join the page and join the group. Or you can come find us on Twitter at WFH Podcast. And we're on Instagram at What Fresh Hellcast. And you can always find us on our website, WhatFreshHellPodcast.com. And with that, guys, we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was 
steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.